Hello and welcome to Mother Mother, a podcast from the mom friends you need right now, because this shit is hard. I'm your host, Emily Ferris, a writer and married mom of two in Kansas City, Missouri. While Mother Mother is technically a parenting podcast, this isn't a podcast about kids. It's a podcast all about the experience of being a mother. You can learn more about the podcast and my guests at mothermotherpodcast.com and join the conversation anytime in the Mother Mother Podcast Facebook group where the password is tired. My guest today is Mandy Major, founder and CEO of Major Care, a virtual postpartum care company. She's also the creator of the My Fourth app, a daily tracker for postpartum parents. Mandy, thank you so much for coming on the Mother Mother Podcast. I am so happy to have you here. Aw, thank you, Emily. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, Where are you here from? Remind me. Yes, I uh, live on the shoreline in Connecticut, a place I never thought I'd end up after living in New York for years and years, but here I am. I remembered you were on a beach, but I couldn't remember where. Okay. And you live um, on the shore in Connecticut with your husband and daughter. Correct. Yeah, my five-year-old daughter. Five years old. Yes, yes. So she's vaccinated. (laughs) She is. She is. We are all vaxxed and boosted and uh, just trying to do our best to hang in there. Oh my God, it's so hard. I can't wait until my toddler can get his vaccine. I feel like I'm going to lose like a big chunk of the anxiety I've been carrying around. Not all of it, but like a big chunk of it. I'm still waiting for my anxiety to leave. I don't know. I'm just, I'm coexisting with anxiety at this point. <laughs> Today I had a thought like, is this is this how I'm going to feel for the rest of my life? Yeah. Yeah. And I ha- I already have to manage anxiety. So like not letting it go into overdrive. It's a very real thing right now. I want to talk about that in a little bit too, but it's so fun that you're here and we've cut our lives have kind of um, coincided in this parenting space because you were my editor for a food publication. Isn't that funny? It's like you just never know where life is going to take you. I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So you were my editor. Uh, I was freelancing for you doing some recipe development. Mm-hmm. And then almost immediately after you became a mom, you kind of abruptly left publishing to mm-hmm. become a postpartum doula. But I've never Dead. asked you, like, what prompted that decision? There were a few things happening, but I think part of it was I talk about this and write about feeling like I was very prepared for pregnancy. I was one of the last of my friends to get pregnant, read all the books. I was working for a publishing house that published some of those books. And, and I was like, okay, I'm ready. And then my daughter came early. Thankfully, she was okay. She was healthy, but that still meant we had this like a really big feeding journey to go on. And there were just countless things that nobody had talked about. And so many things that were surprises that should have just been basic information. You know, to me, I liken it to like one day, just all of a, start, all of a sudden starting to menstruate and having no idea that that's what my body would do. Like the lack of education and awareness around our postpartum experience is, is like that. And as I was going through things, and there were so many things like professional things uh, 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 during my maternity leave, as well as just me figuring out my little tiny human and my own body, I kept hearing stories from the new moms I was meeting. And it was like, yeah, same, same. Or just like all of these questions that doctors didn't want to take time to answer, or they just said like, that's that's just how it is. <laughs> you know, just like you chose to have a kid deal with it. And so my long story short is basically I I went back to work and w- was working in food and it just felt like my eyes had been open to this whole other experience and like how all of these, like just what women go through and birth people go through having their babies 
I was like, I can't write about lasagna for another day. I cannot like, and no disrespect to the, you know, I love, I still love cookbooks and I cook a lot, but like that just felt so hollow to me. I couldn't do it anymore. And I left that in the industry, left media and became certified as a postpartum doula. Um, once I learned what a postpartum doula was, it was like, it set my whole world on fire. It's like, oh, I should have had this for my daughter. And why isn't this like everywhere? And why doesn't everyone have one? <laughs> okay, so tell me what a postpartum doula is and does, because I think until you became a postpartum doula, I didn't even know that existed. I just heard, I just knew of doula, like birth doulas, which I call doulas. Apparently, there's also like death doulas, like yeah. a lot of doulas in the world now. And so what does a postpartum doula do? Uh, so a doula is a non-medical caregiver. And in postpartum, the the phrase that's most widely used is we we practice the art of mothering the mother. And basically, we are there to guide, educate, and hold space for you so that you can then be there for your little one. It's so many things. It's really this like prism of it's just like the Swiss army knife of like everything related to baby and your physical recovery. So we can, you know, we deal with like best practices for your body like your your body, your ba- the baby, uh, gear recommendations, lactation. There's It's really that whole span of things that is not covered by your OBGYN or your pediatrician. You know, I always come back to feeling, at least for myself, and I hear this with so many people, we think between those two pr- you know, professionals we'll be taken care of, but they're not trained in so many things that we experience as postpartum people. And so, no one tells you about the first postpartum poop. No, which was my first article for Healthline a few years ago, by did the I, way. Did you quote me for that, maybe? I don't think I did, but maybe we talked you about it. You should have, because I almost called 911. Yeah. Like, we just need to talk about the things that no one's talking about. So yeah, I literally pitched Healthline. I, I want to write about the first postpartum poop. Oh, you beat me to it. I seriously, like, I thought I was going to have to have it surgically removed. That's it was, terrifying. It was worse than being... I was in labor for 30 hours and pushed for four but I had an epidural. Like it was worse than being in labor. It's like a third birth. That's the way oh, I wrote about it. Oh my God. <laughs> I didn't end up having a vaginal birth, but I imagine like I tried to have a vaginal birth, which is part of the reason I couldn't poop because I had, uh, I tried to have yeah. a vaginal birth and I pushed for four hours and then I had an emergency C-section. You're done. And then like everything was broken and I couldn't, like I met, like that's probably what a vaginal birth kind of felt like pushing out. <laughs> This awful thing. I mean, <laughs> but nobody like, warned me. No, and no one talks to you about how bad constipation is after. And but they give you the pain pills, which right? Help. Right, and then also how to pr- like properly poop, especially so you, you know, if you have stitches, whether from a belly birth or vaginal stitches. There's so many things. So I kind of I think you know the way I put it is like I live in that world of TMI of, of things that other people aren't talking about. Like I want to know how that postpartum pooping is going. I want to know how your nipples are doing and let's talk about latch and let's talk about baby carriers and all of those things that aren't really part of our cultural conversation when you have a baby. They're really not. I wish I would have had you to talk with about my nipples and my poop when Teddy was born. I would have been there for it. (laughs) I would have been texting you about my poop all the time. So speaking (laughs) of texting about poop, you have this doula service but we've all been yes. locked in our houses and you kind of serve a national audience. So it's not like you're going to people's homes right now. So you do a lot of this virtually. Correct. So I started out working in my community. Uh, this is pre-pandemic. And I think given my background in digital media, um, I always felt like 
digital solutions were the answer for access and affordability, which are two big issues with doulas. Um, doulas tend to be, you know, in in cities, say like if you live in Brooklyn, if you live in LA, like you will have your choice of, of birth and postpartum doulas, but there are a lot of doula deserts and it's still not covered by most health insurance plans. So it tends to be, we see like doulas for pilot state run programs, or we see it for wealthier folks who can afford that out of pocket. So I felt like virtual care was the best solution to making it as as mainstream as possible. And I started working on the idea in 2018, 2019, and we, we uh, launched just before, the, I think just before the shutdown. Yeah. So you were well-suited to help people. So how does it yes. work? So say I have another baby, which I'm not because I had that shit surgically shut down during my second <laughs> C-section. But say I were to have a third baby um, and I had a postpartum doula. So do I just like text you when I, I'm like, oh my God, I have to poop and I'm afraid or my nipples are bleeding. What do I do? Or this baby won't latch or I'm so sad. Oh, all of the above. So the, and we've just relaunched the app. It's called My Fourth and we launched it in in November. Uh, I pause there. I'm like, what day is it? The, the pandemic has changed things. Time, time is, is very Time fluid. is a construct. Time is a construct. Absolutely. So everything happens through the app. So everything happens through the app. Okay. So if you go to our site, majorcaredoulas.com, you'll see the and backslash my fourth. Um, you can download it there. We're not in the app store. We intentionally are a web app. So we're not in that whole iOS, Android fight. Anybody can download. So download that. And then we offer lots of free content. There's free daily guides for the first six weeks of postpartum. We're adding more like every month. Um, and there's also a whole press postpartum prep toolkit. So all of those things that we talk about, like, oh, I wish I knew this. I wish I knew that. We want to help you get as prepared as possible. So when you're making your birth plan, get in there, make a postpartum plan too. Can I add a hot tip to that if it's not in there yeah. that I learned for the second time? Start Please. taking stool softeners like two weeks before your due date. Oh, hot tip. Hot tip soft poop. Add it. <laughs> I feel like this is going to become the overarching theme of this episode. And I'm kind of <laughs> here for it. The, the, the soundbite. <laughs> hot tip soft poop. <laughs> All right. I got to compose myself. Woo. I love it. Um, so lots of free content there all just self-guided. And then on top of that, we offer plans, a texting plan, as well as a video plan with our on-call doulas. We have an amazing team of doulas and lactation experts um, across the country, and uh, we're there for you. So right now, between 8 a.m., 8 p.m. Central Time, we're expanding our hours pretty soon. Um, and you can hop in there and ask us anything. We talk about uh, vaginal itching with your stitches and what to do. We talk about... Um, trying to delegate tasks to your partner, which can be really, really challenging and actually become an issue in postpartum. You know, we talk about latch and schedules and formula. Um, I think not only holding space for what types of formula might work, but for the, some of those parents to make the switch to formula, it's a very emotional decision. So we really are there for everything. And there's so much that you do not have to talk to your provider about, like a clogged duct we're there for you. Um, how to prevent mastitis so you don't need to see the doctor. Yeah. It's all part of working with a doula. And are there like videos or recordings or anything that, so I know for me, especially the first time around that after 8 p.m., it was those night times that felt extra like dark and scary. So it, yes. right now you said your doulas are available kind of during daylight hours. 
Yeah, till 8 p.m. And then in the evenings, there are there, there are videos, I guess there are articles. There's there's always the Mother Mother podcast Facebook group. <laughs> Very true. So we have guided learning taking you day by day through postpartum. So day one, here's what's most important to know. Day two, day three, and so on. And we have a video, a very short video that talks about something you know really relevant to that day, whether it's uh, pooping, there you go, or <laughs> relationship transitions, baby blues. So short videos along with some simple tips, just, you know, what's normal, what's not, free resources. Um, and a lot of it is just normalizing what's happening to us. Like there's so much of, you know, is this normal? Is this okay? People feel like they're the only ones going through something. And more often than not, it's just, it's par for the course and we just don't talk about it. You know, everyone's afraid they're going to spoil the pregnancy and not tell you some just re very real things to expect. Yeah. I remember feeling like after my first birth, because I pushed so long, I thought mm. that like my, I was like prolapsing, <laughs> but everything was just swollen. But it was just like, everything mm. was, I just was so much more aware of everything because it was swollen. Right. And it was kind of scary. Right. And I wish I would have just had someone I could text. I ended up, I think, emailing my doctor, calling my doctor's office. But I wish I would have just been able to text someone and say, is it, you know, is my vagina right. broken? Right. <laughs> yeah. We, and we talk about that. Like, what does Lokia look like? How long are you bleeding for? You know, what is too big of a clot? Um, just some of those really, like, really important things. What are warning signs you should know about? Yeah. Um, and tips on also, like, snacks to eat. And we also have post some postpartum recipes. So it all does come together. I'm still work like I'm still passionate about food in the sense of how do we nourish new moms? I love it. I yeah. Love it. Yeah. So we have some really awesome recipes in there. So as I remember, I feel like the postpartum doula services, the one-on-one -on -one stuff, it's actually pretty affordable. It is. It is. So our texting plan is $29 a month. And that gives you full access to all content as well as uh, on-call, the on-call doulas who are there. Like there's no limits. It's unlimited texting with us. That's amazing. That's a lot cheaper than like hiring a doula to come to your house. Right, right. And and sometimes it's a, it's a really beautiful companion to that. Right. Um, maybe you're working with somebody locally, but you need that additional support or you want that or it's just those quick questions. And the video plan is $199 a month, a bit more, but you're getting that FaceTime private, totally HIPAA compliant, secure, and you're getting that FaceTime with somebody who's there just purely for you to check in, get all your questions asked. And like nothing is nothing is too much. Like we've heard it all. That's what we live for. And I hear I have told you about like the the poop I labored. So you've really heard it all. Um, so if I wanted to like give this as a gift to someone, would that be easy? It is. It is. We have some links up on social. I will give you a link, but we are offering, we have gift cards for whether you want one month or three months of the texting or video plans. So somebody can have three months, like get them through their whole fourth trimester covered for under $90. Oh my God. That's like the best gift ever. Ah, thanks. We wanted to make this as affordable as possible. So Doula care should not be a privilege. But it it historically has been. I remember writing about, I had a birth doula for my first because my plan, my birth plan was get the baby out as safely as possible with as little pain as possible. So in some ways I wasn't like the typical doula client because I was like, give me all the drugs. I was not going <laughs> to have a natural birth, but I, I thought I would have a vaginal birth and I didn't. But I mm -hmm. ended up having the C-section and, and the doula was so important in kind of helping me feel okay about having the C-section. I love hearing that. 
as some, I think some people feel like you can only have a doula if, like if you are planning to have an unmedicated vaginal birth, if you are having a home birth with a midwife, and then there's also going to be a doula and that it, it, a doula is for everybody. Yeah. 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 It was really, it was really great. She like, oh, that's um, wonderful to hear. She held my hair back because I forgot a hair tie. Like I'd packed my whole hospital bag and forgot a hair tie. And she actually wrote about this. I will uh, drop the link. I wrote about it for What's Up Moms. I'll drop the link in the show notes. It was like why I used a doula for my medicated birth. And I just love it. But I felt like it was such a privilege and it was something I knew my insurance didn't pay for it, but it was not cheap. Mm -hmm. It's not. And I'm really looking forward to the time when when doulas are just a standard part of postpartum care. But that said, we need so many things when it comes to postpartum care because, I mean, that's a whole other podcast, but just- Well, it's a um, little bit in the second half of this podcast, which we'll get to later, <laughs> because I do want to talk about that. It's very important. Yes, there are some major, major gaps in, well, as we're learning right now, yes. there are major gaps in healthcare all over this country and the world, but especially in in postpartum care, which I want to mm-hmm. I want to talk about. But before we get into all that serious stuff- mm. Tell me, what was your lockdown like? It has been varied. I will say that for somebody who was working from home and was in the virtual space, I think I was privileged in that way of that part was seamless, but I was, I've been in it. <laughs> I think navigating just like so many other people with a kiddo who was at the beginning of the pandemic in preschool is now in kindergarten, trying to work with all of that. My husband works in person. And we're those people who stopped going to restaurants, wore our masks even after we were vaccinated. So I think for me, the hardest part is just like becoming an indoor cat mm-hmm. <laughs> and meow. Real, like, yeah, meow, trying not to have some of that anxiety take over. Um, I mean, I say that it did. There's waves of it. So yes. <laughs> it's like as somebody who was already like new shoes in the house, like don't wear your subway clothes on the bed, like that kind of like low key OCD. I think the pandemic has been challenging that way. Yeah. Now, see, I'm gross and wear shoes in the house and don't shower <laughs> often enough. So I'm kind of a filthy person, but I have my, I have other anxieties like medical anxieties and like car anxiety, highway anxiety after my car was rear-ended when Teddy was 16 weeks old. So my mind manifested yeah. differently. But I did become really obsessive about grocery store shoes. I remember spraying my husband's shoes mm. with Lysol at one point because there were all these different oh, stories gosh. coming out about like, remember there was the wash your groceries. Yeah. We did delivery only and then we sprayed down with Lysol. We sprayed down some of our canned goods and other things. I mean, there's been so many stages of it. And I just, I think for me, it, there there's a certain amount of like what I'm going through and then holding space for pregnant and postpartum people going through it too. It's a lot. And I, I just, for me, my whole heart is with parents through this because I think parents and caregivers are paying the biggest price. Oh, yeah. Especially parents and caregivers of young children right now, but yeah. all ages, but especially young. So are you, do you do any prenatal doula work as well or is that totally separate? No, it's part and parcel. We do get some folks who sign up after they've had their babies, but then others. And we really love it when when we can work with people who are expecting so that we can work on that postpartum plan. You know, usually like they're anywhere in their sixth to eighth month and they're starting to think about, okay, what do I need? What are all of the things? And so I'm seeing more of that. And that's really exciting. I like to talk about it of like planning for the wedding versus planning for marriage. 
Oh. Right. So we spend a lot of time on the birth plan, like the wedding. And then it's like, I'll figure it out for postpartum. And those, those words, I feel like I should just have them. <laughs> like, Oh, those are like famous last words. I'll figure it out. I just would love if our culture can really just chip away at that yeah. and um, do a little bit more planning. So I'm totally going somewhere with this because I'm curious, working with pregnant people, have you had any like vaccine hesitancy with pregnant patients, pregnant clients? We haven't dealt with as much of that. We are seeing a lot of people feel the weight of who do I see, how exposed newborns are already, very vulnerable. So I can't tell you just how much time is spent and energy for us to navigate our everyday lives, especially for people in the fourth trimester. Who do I have over? You know, am I on the same page as my partner? And for me, it's like we cannot discount the mental load, the emotional labor of that. It yeah. is it is making new parents exhausted. I mean, broadly, parents in general, yes, but yes. especially newly postpartum parents. Oh my God. So my my second Charlie was born three weeks before lockdown and the right. weight of the decision of taking him in to see the doctor for one of his newborn checks versus like not. So it's like, do we stay mm-hmm. home and not expose ourselves to the virus or do I risk taking him in and exposing us to the virus just to get a checkup when he's a healthy baby? Yeah. It's it was scary. It was hard. And we ended up doing a kind of a half and half. So we we skipped you know, we did some virtual newborn where I like weighed him. I like put him down on my cold glass like Weight Watchers scale. I don't do Weight Watchers, but like that was the brand of scale I bought. I like weighed him on this this scale and then, you know, tried measured his head and tried to measure oh. him with a sewing tape measure for one. But then there were also the appointments where I was like, I'm not gonna miss the measles vaccine or these other vaccines. And right. it's so shitty that we are we have to think about this like is it safe to take my kid to the doctor to keep my kid healthy? Right. Like, but, how and that's, fucked up is that? You're seeing that with um, OBGYN visits too for your six-week checkup. So anywhere from six to eight weeks. Pre-COVID, 40% of people didn't make those visits because of childcare hurdles, you know, whatever it may be. There's a lot of different reasons. So the figures are looking really bad for what does that mean for us now? And it also means like what kind of, what is being unchecked both physically and mental health wise. I definitely skipped mine, but it was, th- it was what, three weeks into the pandemic. <laughs> right, right. I couldn't go to the hospital for a no, checkup. It's <laughs> right. That feels un- unnecessary, like unnecessary risk. Um, and, but we see it like I'm waiting for that data to come in of like, well, we are actually seeing that for mental health and the toll it's taking in terms of postpartum anxiety and depression. Also, the rising postpartum suicide rate, things nobody wants to talk about, yeah. but are a reality. Also, opioid use and seeing uh, substance misuse, uh, the rise of that. And nobody wants to talk about that. But it is a a huge issue that is only getting exacerbated by the pandemic. I'm sure. Looking back, I very much had postpartum anxiety with my first. And I went to my six-week checkup. And we were going to all the doctor's appointments and we had visitors and family and life was, you know, it was in the before time. And mm-hmm. still no one thought to say, hey, you might want to see someone about that anxiety. Not that people didn't care, not that my doctors weren't good, but it was just like I was, I was clearly like, I have ADHD. So I have a, a long history. I undiagnosed ADHD till I was 36. So I have a long history of like, masking my anxiety and and troubles in the world anyway. So I'm sure I just did a really good job or a decent <laughs> enough job of masking my postpartum anxiety. But like I 
definitely had it. And this was, you know, before lockdown. I had Mm -hmm. ample opportunities. I was interacting with people and doctors and medical professionals, and no one saw it then. So I I feel so badly for the the parents who are going through it in this like dark alone time where it's scary. Like you already have anxiety and then you're like, oh my God, it's scary to go to the hospital. And it really is scary to go to the hospital. It's not just in right. your head. Right. Or you're unable or or don't feel comfortable with hiring in-home help. That's yeah. a reality for a lot of people for many reasons. And right now, I think it's like, there's a few things going on where we're told it's going to be hard, but what does that mean? Right? Like if we're told, well, postpartum is just pretty shitty. <laughs> well, like what's a normal amount of shitty? And what is clinically a problem, physically or emotionally. And we also have this thing with social media that I, I wrote for, about on HuffPost this summer, just like, well, one, our mom strong culture, but two, like what we put on our feeds. And this is true of in so many ways, but you know, we put the best of ourselves on there. There's a lot of performative parenting and performative posts and I know firsthand how like so many people who post the happy baby photos and there is very real s- stuff, other, you know, not happy things happening. And it's so hard to admit that it's not, that something could be going on, that this is harder than the normal hard. And maybe there's anxiety or depression or psychosis or a spectrum of things. Yeah. I actually wrote something recently about this for you. And maybe, do you care if I read it, Mandy? Is that okay? I would love for you to read it. Okay. So I, um, for the listeners, Mandy is working on a book about the fourth trimester. And I'm going to do a little contribution. Uh, So you're going to have these little snippets from people in the parenting space. Mm -hmm. What I wish I knew. What I wish I knew. So this this is what I wrote. So here we go. On paper, I was more than ready for motherhood. I'd spent most of my 20s working part-time as a nanny, so I was prepared to handle anything a newborn might try to throw my way, including diaper blowouts, sleepless nights, and even bloody nipples. What I hadn't considered, however, was what having a baby might do to my brain and how it might be compounded by a 30-hour labor followed by an emergency C-section and no sleep for the first five days of my son's life. My milk didn't come in for a week. Panicked, I visited a lactation consultant whose well-meaning suggestion of starting a feeding log spiraled me into a 15-month obsession over my son's well-being while completely ignoring my own. I rarely asked for help and told myself, and everyone else, I was fine, even when I wasn't. Instead of supplementing with a little formula, I spent any extra downtime miserably attached to a breast pump. Instead of eating the foods that my body craved, I gorged myself on bland, overpriced lactation cookies. Instead of letting my husband put our son Teddy to bed, I insisted on doing it, then stayed up a few hours later each night to get everything done. I shopped and cleaned and posted cute pictures to social media in an attempt to convince everyone, including myself, that everything was fine. Years later, it's easy to see I was dealing with postpartum anxiety. But because of my ADHD, which was also undiagnosed at the time, I couldn't see the big picture. If I could go back in time, I'd give myself permission to ask for help and accept any help that was being offered. I'd buy a can of formula, take a nap, and talk to a therapist, or even just another mom, about my anxiety. I'd tell myself, you deserve to be okay too. I am really glad you asked me to write that because it was really cathartic for me to write. Was it? Oh, I really appreciate you sharing it. I feel like I've written longer things and funnier things and sadder things about it, but I I feel like I, I hadn't just like really boiled it down to what happened. And that's what happened. Mm. I, I was in a postpartum anxiety spiral, but I wasn't telling anyone that I needed help. And people were offering help and I wasn't accepting it. 
it hits uh, it hits deep. I, I I felt you in that piece and and felt for you and how hard it is when we're doing all of the things. And sometimes I think especially with anxiety, as somebody who navigated my own, it's very hard to see when you're in it. I wish I wouldn't have been so fucking obsessed with breastfeeding too. <laughs> I feel like my life would have been so much better if I could have let myself give him formula. But it is a very, it's very emotional. It feels black and white. It feels like there's no gray when you're choosing. And and I say that as somebody who I breastfed, I pumped, and I supplemented with formula. I, I did the triple feeding. I saw all sides of it. It feels like everything is at stake. Yeah. Even though when I was pregnant, when people would say, are you going to breastfeed? Which A, none of your fucking business people. <laughs> but B, I would say, I'm going to try. And if I can't, I'll use formula and it'll be fine. But then when I was like in it, I couldn't, mm-hmm. I was like, I have to feed this child from my body or else I'm not a woman <laughs> or something. Right, that somehow you're less than. And yes. yeah, and it manifests in even the early play dates I'd have with like, at the time I was living in Brooklyn and there were various mom meet- meetups and it was like speed dating. Like the first, one of the first questions was like, are you, you know, what kind of birth did you have? So like, was it a belly birth or a vaginal? And we're going to separate ourselves based on that. And then are you breastfeeding or formula feeding? And I, I, I would just- I would love if that wasn't something that divides us and we can just be together, right? We'll just all commiserate over the postpartum poop and forget about the rest. See, the poop will unite us. (laughs) Everybody poops. Everybody poops. Oh, and there's like so much there with like, oh, just people not knowing, you know, it's not normal not to, like you shouldn't sneeze and pee yourself three months postpartum. Should you still pee yourself a little bit a few hours after sex, two years postpartum? We might want to talk about a pelvic floor therapist. Hold that thought. (laughs) We're going to take a break. But before we go to break, Mandy, I have a question for you. All right. What are you wearing? Oh, I'm wearing one of my favorite pandemic looks, which is a hot pink J. Crew sweatshirt. It's it's my uh, it's my casual my dressy casual look and some joggers because I refuse to wear hard pants forevermore. I love a good jogger. It feels kind of tailored and and nice, right? Are you wearing a bra? Yes, that is a requirement. I was going to say in these parts, and then, yeah, that's quite the pun there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) These ladies need a bra. So even when I'm just by myself, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. All right. We're back with Mandy Major founder and CEO of Major Care, a virtual postpartum care company. And she also has the My Fourth app, uh, a daily tracker for postpartum parents. So I want to talk about uh, a bigger topic, but real quick, Mandy, before we get to that, there's a tracker in your app. And I have said numerous times that a lactation consultant, you know, had me log everything and it kind of sent me into a postpartum anxiety spiral. How is logging something in, in the My Fourth app different than what I was doing in the notes app on my phone? I'm glad you asked that because logs can feel overwhelming or triggering for some people. So the thinking there is a lot of times we're tracking your the newborns, pees and poops and feeds, right? But we totally abandon ourselves. We aren't tracking anything. And there's some very basic things about our self-care that can make a difference. So if you're not drinking enough water through the day, you can get headaches. It can impact your supply. Can make you constipated. There you go. We're getting into the poops again. It's always about poop with me. 
<laughs> this is why we're friends. Yes. So, <laughs> um, it, you know, you can't, re- the days are so long. You can't remember, you know, when did I last go? So we want to look at like, if you're able to track that and we make it simple, like there's, there's water, food, poop, and you, medication. So you can t- single tap and keep tabs on like, when did I, did I eat? Did I drink water? When did I take my medication? Just some of those very basic things for your own care and health to make sure you're on point. And so hopefully that isn't, it isn't something that kind of spirals you out, but gives you some, like some semblance of your day so that you can kind of figure out like, oh, I haven't had any water today. Yeah. I wish I would have had that because I wasn't logging anything for myself. Well, you know what? I was logging every pumping session how much I got out of each boob, how long I pumped, and then nursing sessions and how long they were. But other than that, the only thing I was logging for myself was in relation to my baby's body. And that's for for me too. And we that's really what it is, right? In America, like all the trackers are for the baby. Everything celebrates their milestones and their needs. And so even though my fourth talks about baby care, we have uh, things on lactation in there. It's all through the lens of you. And I think that is to me, like my mission in this, in this life is, is to center postpartum around you because you should not be separated from your baby. You're a dyad. You work together as a unit. And so we cannot just divorce the birth person from their baby and act as if they're like two separate things. Like everything is connected. So, you know, for me, all of those basics, when did you eat? When did you take your medication? It's vital. It's absolutely, and it's just as important as the baby's vitals. Yeah, I love that. I wish I would have had that with my first. I mean, my I know my husband was trying. He was trying. You know, he was making me meals at least. Like he was bringing me water and making me meals. But like, I wish I would have had something like that because I really stopped taking care of myself. And that would have been really nice to have. Yeah. And it's so, it's easy for us to do. Like it's so much work. I think we're in such a unique time, even pre-pandemic where like we've never been more alone to do all of the things in postpartum. We're we're just supposed to care for this person, recover ourselves physically, keep keep the house together, maybe host some people. Like I just always bang that drum of like, if you're a week postpartum, you should not be vacuuming. You shouldn't like you can say no to guests. <laughs> I remember like furiously vacuuming, holding on to my C-section scar, being like the the dog hair that people no, are coming over the I dog know. hair. I know. <sighs> no. Okay. So in the spirit of all of that bullshit, let's talk about what we as moms, not just new moms, all moms can give up in the new year. What can we let go of? What can we just say like enough of this? Fuck this. Yes. Yes. And it's very intense right now. This desire for renewal and fresh starts and new year goal setting. Right. Oh my God. I pity anyone who made a resolution this year because sorry, it ain't (laughs) happening. The schools are already starting to close. You're screwed. Exactly. It's feeling very hostile at this point. I think there's just so much, you know, I think about the first thing is like, when it comes to postpartum, I hope we can stop celebrating mom strong culture. And what I mean by that is the kind of the gritting it out, the pride in, I was only three days postpartum when I dot, 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 or I didn't need dot, dot, dot when I was postpartum. So like, there should be no pride in pushing yourself in postpartum. And we have a culture where we really want to applaud that. So I think like not participating in that can be really helpful for protecting your peace. And, you know, being also, if you are a a parent who has someone in your life who just, you know, had a baby, like not doing that comparison stuff. If that person has whatever support system they need, like 
that's great. It doesn't need to be a comparison if like you didn't need something. Yeah. So I think letting go of that, letting others do things for you, how to whatever extent feels safe and possible. I think so often as as moms and and as new parents, it's like that's not the way to do it. No, I've got it. The sense of control can be really intense and it can feel like you're the only person who should be doing something and the more you can like to your your essay, if you can let people in either like who are asking how they can help or you yourself asking. Yeah. Huge, 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 huge. I wish I would have been able to let go. Like I was upset. Like I thought I had to be the only one who could put my son down. Yes. For bed for That's a year. For the first year of his life, I'm the only person who put him to bed. Yeah. Like why didn't I just like hand him off to my husband and take a book or a, a podcast and a glass of wine and take a bath? Yeah. <laughs> Right. And delegating, it builds up. It builds into resentments on both sides and a lack of sleep and a lack of care. And then as those things become normalized, it gets really imbalanced. And we work with folks, you know, just figuring out, just letting somebody else fold the laundry can be a powerful thing. If that's like one other thing is not on your list so that you can lay in bed and eat some soup, which is going to really help your postpartum body. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, please do that. <laughs> Luckily, I live out of laundry baskets, so I don't put away my own laundry. So well, there you go. <laughs> You're ahead of the curve. <laughs> I let that one go a long time ago. A long time ago. What about parents of older kids? So I have a six-year-old and an almost two-year-old, and I still like stress about the house and, and I've got a lot going on with work, but like, what, Yeah. what would you recommend? Like if I were to hire you now as a very um, delayed postpartum doula, what would you tell me to <laughs> let go of? Oh, that's a good question. The first two things that come to mind are one, stop tracking screen time. If you are there, I, <laughs> like all of this worry that, you know, if we don't hyper, hyper schedule our kids or keep them as engaged as possible with all of these, you know, mind stimulating things, that's, it's going to be terrible for them. And yes, that is absolutely valid. But when it comes to your sanity and your ability to be, uh, to get things done and to work, to provide for your family, like, let's take it back to 1983. Just let the, when they didn't like check TV time. Yeah. And Elmo's really good for kids. Let it ride. Educational programming is better than ever. TV is better than ever for kids. So find some quality stuff and just let it be. If that means you can take a shower or you can fit like meet a deadline, I am all for it. Like 100%. I love that. That actually coincides with this genius plan that I have. So my oldest is in a French immersion program. He's in kindergarten. And I thought like if his school gets closed again, they I think they have like a 90 minute a virtual day for kindergartners, which is good because any more than that is too much for kindergartners. Mm-hmm. But I'll just put on his favorite shows and make him watch them in French. There you go. That's actually one of the best ways to learn another language. Or yeah. so I'm told. I've never been able to master another that's, language. That's but. foreign language immersion, right? There you, it, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. And then buy a winter. bubble machine because uh, those yeah. are genius for keeping kids busy. <laughs> that's true. Though, can you use them inside without making the floor slippery? Um, yeah. So, um, bundle them up, get them outside, do it, do it that way. Uh, Ooh, frozen bubbles are probably really cool. Yeah. How does that work? Uh, Science. Science. STEM. School is all around us. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. So 
how can we support other moms right now? Even when we can like barely take care of ourselves, how are some ways that we can support other moms this year? That's a great question. Did I say how are some ways? Because that's my brain is broken. I said, how are some ways we can support? (laughs) I was right there with you. I was. (laughs) (laughs) What are some ways that we can support other moms in 2022? I think everybody could use a thinking of you text, like no strings attached, just thinking of you, at least from where I sit. I think there's a lot of power in that. Yeah, that's really sweet. And there's no like, uh, who are we kidding? We're not going to have a phone date. We don't, we can't do that. But just like, I'm not ignoring you. I just am trying to do life right now. So I find that just, and that's something text check-ins, like one-sided text check-ins, we recommend that like with anyone we work with. And that's also a part of what we do is being able to just send that that message that says, how are you? I'm thinking of you. And I think that everybody can benefit from that. I think that's really great because I do, I have, I, I'm carrying around like a lot of guilt and shame for phone dates that I have been trying to schedule now for like 17 months. Yeah, I hear you. Let that shit go. Let that, let it go. Like my heart's in a good place. Just, (laughs) just, we're all doing the best we can. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Maybe I'll send a few of those texts. That This phone date's never happening. I still love you. I'll see you again in five years or never because the world is ending. But you're on my mind. Yeah, (laughs) you're on my mind. (laughs) Maybe I'll see you again. Maybe the world's going to end. Who knows? But stressing about the phone date, the play date, the whatever, mm, I I just, we don't really have the bandwidth for it right now. No. Everything is too much. It's all too much. And I feel like I live a life of relative privilege and it's still all too much. Right. Right. Absolutely. And if there's new parents in your world, I would just say to whatever extent you can drop off and or have delivered any kind of like food or anything other than onesies and flowers. That's awesome. Mm. (laughs) That actually reminds me, this was a piece, I wrote a piece after my first son was born about like nine things to know if you're going to visit me and my baby. And I think this applies now even more like in a pandemic and a never ending pandemic. But like when we had a baby, people wanted to bring us food, which was nice, but then they wanted to like hang out and eat or have a drink. And I'm like, I haven't showered in a week. My nipples are bleeding. I've been trying to poop for a week. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to hang out. I don't want to have to entertain you. I don't want to have to like not cry or put on a happy face Mm-mm. or like feel like I have to put on a headscarf because my hair is greasy. Like I have some social anxiety anyway, but like that that pressure of feeling like you have to entertain after having a baby is mm-hmm. too much. It's too much. Like just putting on a top is kind of a big deal, or at least it was for me post. Like, oh yeah, I was very. Even though I had winter babies, I was topless a lot because it, it was just easier. I was topless all the time. My husband's like, "Who are you?" I'm like, "I don't know how these things work. I have to figure this yeah. out." I just wore like a robe and kept it open most of the time. Yeah. So drop it at the door. Text that it's there. You're done. I love it. I love it. Okay. So another question I have, Mandy. Why is the term perinatal so foreign to us? Because we hear prenatal all the time. And I know that we hear the word postpartum, but usually it is followed by depression, anxiety, or hemorrhage. Like perinatal is just as prevalent as prenatal. Like why is this word not a word we hear? So I feel like there's probably a very neat and tidy answer to why perinatal is not as widely used. And, And that's about, you know, perinatal really spans right? Pre and post having a baby. There's part of me, like the feminist in me wants to say it has to do with 
how we prioritize women and birth people. So like pregnancy is this monumental event, right? It's so cared for and covered and well-supported and you have the baby and then it's like, you're a husk, right? You were the vessel for having that baby. That's sort of, to me at least, how we how we currently treat birth people. And I wonder sometimes if like the words we use and what we know is really centered around pregnancy because it's this culmination, right? And then it's all about the baby and where are you? So thinking out loud there, that's not founded in anything except some like gut feelings. I mean, look, that's where I was going with that very pointed question. So that's, I mean, that was my gut <laughs> so feeling as go. well, right? So we hear so much about about prenatal, but want, because we're we're glowing and we're beautiful and we're care, we right. are with child, Full of and then life. we become and like yes, all of this potential, yeah, and then we're just like gross, bloody monsters after the baby comes yeah. out. Right. You're like milky and bleeding and leaking and no thanks. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I think there's something there. Maybe we need to work on an article together. I think we do. I think so. Okay. So speaking of prenatal birth, postpartum, perinatal, I know that Black women are disproportionately ignored in childbirth and especially in the postpartum perinatal phase. Mm -hmm. But this really is a problem for all birthing people in this country. Like our system of taking care of people who have babies sucks. 100% broken. Sucks. Non-existent, broken. Like it is reprehensible, really, and inexcusable. When you look worldwide at the systems in place for postpartum care, both state sponsored and familial, there is a whole, there are, there's a culture and systems typically there uh, recognizing this transition for the birth person. And America, you know, we spend the most on healthcare and we have no standard system of postpartum care. And I think a lot of people don't know that we sort of, like I, I did when I had my daughter, I assumed the care and the support and services I had through pregnancy would continue. And it's a rude awakening to see it doesn't. Your pediatrician might have a list of lactation consultants. Should you need that? That's probably it. It is changing, but there's a lot written about our maternal, the maternal mortality rate. We have the highest of any developed country. We are one of the very few countries where it is increasing year over year. So even if we look at like the rates in Sudan, they are improving. They are on an upward trajectory. We are going down. It is less safe now than 2003. And to to your earlier point, it is subpar, I would say, for everyone. But it is dangerous and deadly, particularly for Black and Indigenous mothers. Those are are the highest rates. And then also Hispanic and Latinx. There's a lot of racism. (laughs) Like systemic racism is a huge problem in, in this sector lack of quality care. But even that, I I don't even want to give that time because even in certain studies where they factored in socioeconomic status, it still comes down to race. So paired with some good old fashioned misogyny. That too, that too. But like, you can't have this conversation without talking about racism because it it isn't everything. Yeah. 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 I I guess I was just throwing it out there as in like, all women are kind of ignored and in maternal care. And then it's like so much worse when you are a marginalized woman. Yes, 100%, 100%. And it's uh, across the board, both in in physical and, um, you know, mental health studies. It's just, um, it's really, it's, it's shocking. And I feel like it's a crisis that's hiding in plain sight. We just don't 
we're starting to talk about it more. I'm noticing that change even in the last year to two years. But when we look at the rate of PMADS, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, pre-COVID one in five, right now it's looking like it might be as high as two to three out of five. Very serious, very serious for the birth person, but also for that whole family. And there's just, there's so much need and we can, we can do better. And the thing is, it's not like we're like inventing something like these stand, like standardized postpartum care exists. We have models to look at in many, many countries. Oh my God. I die a little bit inside every time a Canadian mom will post yes. in, a, in a mom group because they get a year they get a, Or even watching paid? working moms. I was like, I can't I watch the show. I couldn't watch it. It like triggered me. You, I was like, I can't watch them have their Me too, leaves. because you get a year off and you you have a mom circle. Whether or not you like everybody in that circle, you know, there's no guarantee. But like you have care. You have an outlet. You have people checking in on you. Um, talking about pelvic floor issues, right? Like so France, it's completely standard to have pelvic floor therapy. And you think, well, of course you do. Because what happens if you go in for like a knee surgery? right? A, sh- a shoulder surgery, you're going to have PT after that. And so even with a, a, you know, a vaginal birth, a belly birth, like there's nothing. It's not, maybe it's not the same as a surgery, but it, it is a surgery. Like if we think about it as a, or not a surgery, but a medical event. Yeah. Why don't we have PT for that? Um, I mean, yeah, I had major surgery on my abdomen and no one has looked at it, but I have had my teeth checked and cleaned since then, but not, not my incision or my vagina. Right, right. It was three. So I had a, a scheduled C-section. I actually kind of almost, I joke, joke that I almost died. But when I got the epidural, my blood pressure crashed. Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh my God, I'm dying. Like I thought my husband was still in the waiting room and they paged my doctor and I just heard her come in and say scalpel. And she just like cut the baby out real fast, like 45 minutes before or half an hour before or something, because for some reason the epidural caused my, my blood pressure. To just completely crash. But yeah, I haven't had anything examined below my teeth, I guess, (laughs) since, uh, yeah, since that happened. I probably should, probably should go in. I mean, it's hard, right? Like uh, scheduling time for those sorts of things. I get it. I, it's, and that's where like sometimes I also think virtual work is fantastic. Say maybe you need in person pelvic floor therapy. But you could at least get the thing started by talking with somebody virtually and then yeah. see transition into that if it's something that you need. But yeah, we're all dealing with a lot. It's true. And I want to ask, like, how can we as relatively privileged white women like support black parents and black mothers in this? And it's like, I wish there were an easy answer because the problem is so systemic and our system is so broken. And it's like yeah. there's so like all parents are struggling right now. And I'm not saying like I don't have time to help another family because I absolutely do when I can. But it's like it's it's like when people talk about climate change, it's like, yeah, we should all stop using straws. But, you know, my it's not my straw that's killing the earth. It's the corporations and their emissions. Right. Like right. The, it's it, until the big corporations make big changes like my straw is not really going to you know, determine if the earth is going to melt or not. And so, like, we need we need sweeping changes in this country. Yes. Yes. And I think that's, there's legislation that's actively being worked on to provide coverage like the mom and the bus. We need that. I think it's very important for individuals and even startups to address this, you know, like we are, but we need more. We need a bigger structural framework. We need like America to step up 
like the fight, the fact that we're fighting for paid leave is a huge part of this, right? The fact that 25% of birth people will go back to work in two weeks after delivery because they have to, that's all the time off that they get. That's barbaric. It's inhumane to me. Puppies get to stay with their their parents longer, their moms longer than that. Yeah. I want to use the word inexcusable again. And, and it is. And, and that's part of it. So like we need leave to have the slow postpartum and the supported postpartum that helps our bodies recover and also allow us to take care of our tiny humans in the best way possible. Yeah. If we don't have that, we're missing a basic human right, in my opinion. Oh, I don't want to end on this sad, depressing note about the state of our fucked up country and how we treat <laughs> birthing people. Um, what's a happy note we can end on for this wonderful year full of possibility, Mandy? <laughs> well, the uh, millennial baby boom has begun. That is that is started. It's Wait, what? 3% what's that? In live births. There's a millennial baby boom? There is a millennial baby boom that has uh, is starting. So- I think the good thing is I'm seeing a lot of change, both with companies starting up to address postpartum care, more devices for for postpartum in general and care for the birth person, a lot more just like influencers and communities in the space uh, that certainly weren't there when I had my daughter. So I feel I feel very hopeful and also seeing some of the legislation that's being moved forward. Here's hoping. I mean, the numbers are still not good, but I think. <laughs> we are we are so behind, but we are getting closer. We need one more happy note. Okay, one more, like, <laughs> other than the text, one more simple way we can support other moms, all moms, or our favorite moms, or some moms this year. What can we do? Well, I'm the business person in me is like, please sign your friend up for my fourth because yes. so much of it is free and the texting plan is $29 a month. But I don't want that to sound gross. I I, I mean that from a place of service. <laughs> for, a, for a low, low fee of $29.99 a month. <laughs> yeah, I don't want <laughs> But for a limited time. Today only. Today, if you call today. Um, no, I think that's great. Like, yeah, if you have a friend, listeners, if you know someone who is um, about to have a baby, Gift them the My Fourth app. Beyond, you know, besides the app, I would say a great way to support other pa- other parents, other people is like the "How are you? I'm fine." I follow. Ask it again. No, how are you really? And be willing to listen to the answer. I like that. I feel like at some points in my early parenthood journey, that might have sent me into tears, and that's okay. That probably would have been a good thing. I've had that happen a few times, and people get embarrassed, and I just let them know, like. That's why I asked. And I'm sorry that I'm the first person who really asked you. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. That is a happier note than what we were talking about before, believe it or not. So <laughs> it, it feels good. It feels good. It's a good It's a good thing. All right. Anything else you want to add? Um, no, you can find me uh, on Instagram at doula Mandy and also at major care doulas with an S. All right. And I will drop all of the links to this in the show notes um, so people can find you and find the app and gift it to their friends. And um, yeah, it was so, so great to talk to you, Mandy, and to see your face because I don't think we've been face-to-face before. No, and it's been wonderful. And I just want to thank you for your work and everything Mother Mother because it's such an amazing community. So thank thank you. you. Thank you for being a part of it. And thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for coming on Mother Mother. And hopefully we'll talk soon. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. Bye. Bye. Now, before we go... I have a voicemail. 
Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for answering all of our questions in your last episode. I have one more question for you. What are you wearing? Well, 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 thank you for this question. Um, Whatever could have prompted it. Well, um, I am wearing a gray t-shirt that I got at Forever 21 years ago. And I'm obsessed with it. And they don't make it anymore. And it has paint splatters on it. And I don't care. Uh, I'm wearing some Madewell demi-cut jeans. I'm wearing black sparkly socks because I decided that sparkly socks are going to be my thing from now on. And I'm wearing some custom vans that I ordered a day or two after Googling what shoes are cool right now. Because that's how uncool I am that I had to Google what shoes are cool right now. Because I realized I'm just not cool anymore. And then I said, fuck it. I don't have the energy to find out what shoes are cool. And even if I did have the energy, A, they're probably like big white dad sneakers from the 90s and I cannot go there, or B, they're uncomfortable. So custom vans, sparkly socks, jeans, gray t-shirt, and a bra. Anyway, if you want to continue this conversation, either about my clothes or the conversation I had with Mandy, come on over to the Mother Mother Podcast Facebook group where the password is tired. And you can always find more information about the show and my guests at mothermotherpodcast.com where you can leave me a voicemail. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to Mother Mother. If you're loving the show, please, please, please tell your mom friends, either on social media or in real life. And please also rate and review Mother Mother on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. As I said last week, the more people listen, the more time I can spend creating great episodes for you. I'll be back next week with another episode of Mother Mother, so go ahead and hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Our theme song, Mother Mother by Tracy Bonham, is performed by the amazing Jocelyn McKenzie with Harry Bowles. Bye. Mother, mother, can you hear me? Sure I'm sober, sure I'm sane. Life is perfect, never better.